following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Awesome. See, I got five kids, so I don't mind interruptions. <laughs> interruptions is a way of life. Um, but I was saying earlier, uh, the question that kind of stirred my heart to really kind of shake my life, really, and my aim in life is, is the question, what's going to matter in 50 years? What's going to matter in 100 years? What's going to matter in 20 years? And to be honest with you, a lot of things that we focus on and are aimed at and are pursuing are not going to matter in 20 or 50 or 100 years. But there's other things that will, and it's the lives of these little ones, how we aim them and shape them how we give them roots in the Lord, how we give them wings so they can excel in life and, and just kind of live out God's will for their lives. And so, you know, I would encourage you to think that way. Think about the big picture. A lot of times there's that expression, you may have heard it before, that sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees. Uh, sometimes you can't see uh, because you're clouded with things. And sometimes we don't see the big picture in life. Uh, sometimes we go through life day day dealing with our stuff, our ups and downs, our problems, our concerns, and things like that. It's all understandable. But sometimes we forget the big picture. And I think when we look at uh, the Lord and his will for our lives, when we step back and start looking at the big picture, I think it really helps us live with a motivation and a a vision for our lives. Uh, You know, we've been going through the book of Revelation for a while now, and we're going to jump back in it today. But the one thing I want to say about this book of Revelation, how many of you know that God knows the end from the beginning? God knows. We don't, but he does. And he loves us so much, he actually wrote it down for us. And we have a book of Genesis, which means beginnings, and we have a book of Revelation, which is really the conclusion of life as we know it on this earth, how this planet was built with a timeline, believe it or not, a timeline in mind. And uh, the one thing that we don't think about often, and I would like you guys to consider this uh, as we look at this revelation, this next section, uh, today, by the way, we're going to fly by, we're going to do a flyby today, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose, we're going we're gonna to cover some chapters quick, we're going to look at this in survey mode, everybody say survey mode, survey mode, we're just going to hit the top, the highlights, we're going to hit the mountaintops, I mean, we're not going to crash into the mountaintops, we're going to hit the mountaintops, okay, and we're going to look at some of the big rocks of scripture on the book of Revelation on this next uh, section, but I want you to think about this as we go through this, because when we look at the end, the creation and the beginning, and, and, and God uh, encountering people, and people encountering God and his love, and beginning to line our lives up with God and walk with him, and yet so many others say, I'm not interested, not interested. And God's like, but you don't understand. I love you so much. Yeah, that's okay. I'm not interested. But, but I made you, and I, I formed you in your mother's womb. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not interested. But I had a plan for you, plans written, ordained for you, before one day your first breath even came to being I had some amazing off-the-chart stuff for you designed specifically for you. I'm not interested. Wow. So God is watching people in this narrative of Scripture and in our lives and, and trying to love them and trying to reveal his love and trying to reveal his will and his ways and the future he has. And some, like me, wake up and go, 
God, I'm sorry it took so long. Did anybody have that in the room? Sorry it took so long? Yeah, I'm big time. Sorry it took so long. Um, That's my biggest regret in life is that it took so long. And yet others, God is still trying to love them and they're saying, no, thank you. He's like, I got a handout for you. Look, I love you so much. Life in the Holy Spirit is so much better than life living life without the Holy Spirit. When you're living life without the Holy Spirit, you're only halfway alive, which means you're halfway dead. And, and, and the Spirit of God gives life. In the book of Genesis, God breathed life into the nostrils by his Spirit. And we see in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit breathes life into us to give us life, wisdom and knowledge and discernment, comfort, guidance, counsel, all the things that are not obtainable without the Spirit of God, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, long-suffering, self-control, all these things that we can't create on our own, the Holy Spirit says, would you let me impart these into your life? But it starts with responding to God's love, and yet so many are saying, no thank you. Well, it kind of gets even deeper from there because we live in a world where not only are people saying no thank you, but when you turn on the news, you see some pretty messed up stuff, right? You see some messed up stuff. When you see some global things happening, things around the world, you go, man, it's kind of a messed up world. There's some people doing bad stuff. And, and maybe you're a victim of something in your life where something bad happened to you and you didn't deserve it and you didn't ask for it and it was wrong. And, and you kind of go, Lord, when, how long is this stuff gonna happen? Have any of you guys ever asked that? You know, I'll tell you one that got me lately. Have you guys heard of the one in, um, uh, in Africa, the, all these girls that were abducted? Is it Broko Haram? Is that how you say it? Yeah, you guys heard of that? Boko Haram or somebody? So they came into this village. They took hundreds of these girls, ripped them away from their farmer parents, these girls. They t- took them all out into the jungle, and they're off the grid. No one can find them. And these guys are like terrorists. And these girls have been gone for years. And I'm like, I've been praying for them. I'm like, Lord, please, some, drop a bomb on those guys. Do something. You're like, how long do people get away with bad things? And the problem is, we want heaven on earth now, wanting God to do everything now. Now listen, God still intervenes. There's plenty of testimony. I've got testimony, I trust you do, with God's intervention in life, where he shows up, he stops it. But there's other things, when you look at the history of humanity, where God has let people, as acts of their will, and the choices of their sin, and the consequences unfold, but he's been saying all through scripture, just wait, I have this cup, it's a cup of wrath, and it's not yet full. And you and I are going, well, it ought to be. I mean, to me, it should be. <laughs> if it was my cup, it would be full. If it was God's like, you don't understand. I love people so much, so much, beyond what you can imagine, that even when they're doing messed up things, I'm trying to love them beyond what they did to see what their future could be. And people go, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. And the narrative of scripture we see in Revelation is the cup finally starts getting full. It's, it's getting full. I mean, it said in the beginning it was, and then we're a little shocked when it does. Because when it gets full, this cup of righteousness, which how many of you guys know, if God's a loving God, he must be a just God. He can't be loving and not be just. That wouldn't be loving to not do consequences for anyone or evil that deserves it. So God's loving and he's just, and he's like, yep, the cup's getting higher and higher and higher and higher. And in the book of Revelation, we finally see it's about the tip. 
and it's starting to get poured out. And you read some things in the book of Revelation and you're like, whoa, what is that? And God said, my patience, I've been patient so long, my cup is starting to pour out, but even as it's pouring out, I still love people and anyone willing to soften their heart and turn to me. I will snatch them, I will pull them in, I will love them, I will give them, I'll make all things new. And yet we're gonna see in Revelation that even through some of the turmoil and the things being poured out, there are some are saying, no thank you. And it baffles me that people would. But I guess if you think of it, maybe you and I did the same thing for a while. Did anybody in the room say, no thank you, not now? Yeah, it it seems to be a narrative with the human nature and in the future it doesn't uh, look a lot different. That seems to be uh, the hearts of people. But the beautiful thing is, through the process, God wishes none should perish. Would you say that with me? None should perish. One more time. None means none. None means none. There are some that have a view, theologically, that God made some people for heaven and he made other people for hell. I reject that view. I believe the scripture says none should perish. How many of you guys know God so loved the whole world? Say the whole world. El todo mundo, the whole world, not a couple of people here, a couple there, not you guys, not, nope, he's not partial, he loved the whole world, he loved the whole world, he wishes that none should perish, and yet, when he's rejected again, and again, and again, and as his cup is getting higher and higher, and more and more, there's a point where there's, there's a tip about to happen, I want to read this scripture quick, I'm going to cover some stuff super fast today, um, just so we can look at this. But before we jump into Revelation, I want us to look at 2 Peter. We can just put it on the board. If you have a Bible, you can up to Revelation 10. Uh, but I want to throw this up on the screen here so we can get a view. This, this looks at um, Paul writing to the church going, what about the future? And how's this thing going to go down? And when's it going to happen? And what are we going to know? And, and there's a concern about the future. When, when is this finality going to happen? And, and uh, it's written in, excuse me, Peter. Peter writes this, not Paul. Second Peter 3, uh, verses 8 to 15. It says this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day, listen to this, as you look forward to the day and speed God's coming. You never thought you had any part of speeding God's coming. This says, as you look forward to the day and speed God's coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace. The the next section simply says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. So when you turn on the news and you see crazy stuff going on and you're like, Lord, how long? When is that cup full? Isn't it full yet? The people are doing bad stuff. There's evil out there. The devil and has, you know, uh, powers and principalities trying to influence the weak 
to turn around and do and follow his ways and his schemes, and he's been doing it forever. And you look at all this stuff happening in the world and everywhere. You look at ISIS, what they're doing, chopping, and you're like, what? how long is that going to go on? God's like, listen, my cup is being full, and I'm going to handle all of this. Because this is saying in the passage, bear in mind the Lord's patience means salvation. So we don't think that we see, it sounds like a delay to us that God's not proactive and God's like, no, even though people do evil, I love them and I am patient with them. But there is a clock and the clock is ticking. And if you want to know some of the signs of what the end are, we covered them in previous weeks when we started this Revelation series We started at what the generations will look like in the latter days when the Lord returns, and we looked at some of the details that I'm not going to cover today, but it seems to be, from my assessment, we're living in times that he could come at any time. I I really do. My read of scripture, my read of scripture is that um, Jesus can return at any time, and we can see this sequence unfold. If you're a note taker, write these four things down really quick, if you could, if you're a note taker. Some of you are, some of you aren't, but uh, here's the summary. Uh, We're doing today the big picture on Revelation. We're looking at the big picture, and I'm going to skim across the top of a few chapters here to give us a just general sense of how does this apply to me? What do I do with this prophecy of the future and the way it looks? What do I do with it, and how do I uh, benefit from this? And here's here's the first one. Uh, We can't know the day or the hour, but we can and should recognize the seasons. We cannot know the day or the hour, but we can and should recognize the seasons. Jesus said the same to us in Matthew 24. No one knows the day or the hour. So if anyone tells you the end's coming here, the end's coming there, the Bible says they are a liar. Nobody knows the day or the hour. So nobody can predict it or guess it or get revelation from God on the day or the hour. It's not knowable, but there are seasons And when we look at Scripture and what it says about seasons, how just the fruit begins to change on a tree, there's some indications in Scripture. We covered those uh, early in our series. You can see those on YouTube or on our website. But uh, those are some of the seasons we could recognize. The second point says, no matter what your end time view, no matter what your view of the end times is, your relationship with Jesus determines your outcome. I just dropped the bomb right there. That's it. Your relationship with Jesus determines your outcome, no matter what your view of the end times. Some people have the end times view, just, you know, uh, Pastor Scott shared some last week. Three of the main views of the end times is that the church is raptured, taken up before everything starts going sideways, or in the middle of it, mid-tribulation, or at the end of it, post-tribulation. And most evangelical believers that believe in the authority of Scripture generally have, although there's other views, um, that it's in the beginning or the middle or the end that Jesus does, as he promised, return for believers to be taken up before, before things start to pour out on the earth. Now, the difference with those views is, will we be around when we start to see things happen? And, And I would tell you, Jesus said that none of us are exempt from tribulation, meaning trials. Jesus said, you'll always have trials. So the early church had trials. You look at missionaries in the Middle East right now, they have trials. We all have trials. The church is not exempt from trials. But I would suggest to you the book of Revelation, the word trial, everyone say trial, turns to wrath. Say wrath. Two different things. Two completely different things. Trials 
we're not exempt from them. Jesus wasn't exempt from trials. Neither were the apostle Paul or Peter or John who's writing this from an island in prison. No one's exempt from the trials. But wrath, on the other hand, the Bible promises in Thessalonians that we are not subject to God's wrath. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that we're not going to endure the wrath of God. So when you look at the book of Revelation, trials turn into wrath. And I think the valid question, and you know, in, um, I went to King's College and Seminary and I spent a lot of time looking at some of the end time sequences and views. And I would simply say, when people look at the word trials compared to wrath, that's what brings everything into clarity when you're trying to figure out your timeline. Because you will see trials and it will turn to wrath. And the the question is, are believers around for wrath or not? And I would say from my read of scripture and my study and what other scripture tells me about God's wrath, believers are not subject to it. So if we are found in Christ, our relationship with Jesus determines our outcome, uh, no matter what your end times view is. And, And the third point is this, is to be prayerful, watchful, and ready. Be prayerful, watchful, and ready. The Bible tells us that over and over again regarding the return of Christ. Jesus gave us parables again and again about being ready, those who were and those who weren't. And so um, even this passage we read said the day is going to come and it's like a thief. It's going to come quick and people are going to go like, oh, I thought like I had another 20 years to kind of get my life together. <laughs> Survey says, wrong answer. <laughs> there will not be 20 years to get you. It'll be like, oh, wow. God's like, I've been loving you. I've been trying to reach you. And all I've been getting is, no, thank you. And guess what? He's here. Oh no, I thought, I thought maybe I'd have, like maybe after my, in my retirement, maybe I would get right with you, God. Or maybe after I try all my stuff I want to do. And uh, Jesus says, come to me, come to me now. So that's a, and the, and the fourth one is this. Remember that the Lord's patience means salvation. The Lord's patience means salvation. We, we go, how long is some of this brokenness in the world going to happen? Uh, are things getting better? You know, you know, people have views of creation and the timeline of creation, but one thing I think we would all agree, uh, there has really been uh, no change, no evolution of the human soul. Look at the way people act throughout all recorded history, and we've got some ancient recorded history. People have the same nature all throughout, and it's either looking to God in an appreciation, trying to line up with his ways, or rejecting him and doing what's right in our own eyes. This seems to be a human nature. Um, And so when we see things in the world around us, scripture's reminding us, listen, God sees it too. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Lord's patience means salvation. That's important. So today we're gonna pick up in Revelation 10. I'm only gonna skim a few verses here and there. We're gonna kind of move along pretty quickly just to pick up some some, some things Uh, Last week, Pastor Scott concluded chapter 9, and one thing he said at the very end that we read in chapter 9, it said, after all this stuff was happening on earth, all these things starting to happen where the things are changing and God's starting to pour out things on earth and everyone's like, oh no, what's going on? And God's getting their attention. We read that people would still not change their heart. You know, it's funny how people don't honor God for his blessings. They don't thank God for bringing the sun up in the morning. They don't thank God for the health that they have. They don't thank God for their job or for their home or the warm bed to put a pillow on. And yet, as soon as something bad happens, have you seen that? Maybe we've done that too. Why did you let that happen? What about this? What about that? In other words, what we're doing is 
We don't need to honor and respect and, and adore you, but you need to do what I expect you to do. This is human nature, guys. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to change my life. I'm not going to change my heart. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm just going to live my life as I want. But if something bad happens, why did you let that happen? And so God is getting the blame and not the adoration. And we have a very skewed view of God. You know what that does? This is what it does. It puts us above God. Because if you're going to be God, you better meet my expectations. See how that works? You better not let evil happen. You better uh, change things around. If there's unexplainable things in my life, I don't know why you let them happen. And therefore, I don't accept you. And we, we demote God to this place where he needs to line up with our thoughts. And how many of you know the Bible says your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, just as the heavens are above the earth? His thoughts are way higher. He's the all-knowing one. He's the all-powerful one. The problem with this view is we try to conform God into our image, and we're supposed to be conformed into God's image, and we have it so backwards. And so we're not honoring God. We're not appreciating him. We're not following his word or being led by his spirit, but instead we want him to do the stuff we want him to do, and if he doesn't do it, forget it. And in Revelation, we see things rolling out at the end times, and people are like, oh yeah, well, I don't know if there's a God, but if he's allowing this, forget it, shutting down. And other people are going, oh, wow. I didn't know that God was this proactive. How many of you know the proactivity of God has a way of waking you up? When God gets very proactive in your space, in your world, his proactivity wakes you up quickly. And some people in the Revelation story, the proactivity is starting to wake some folks up. In fact, that's the beauty of this next part of the scripture is that even though turmoil and stuff is happening and God's tipping this bowl of wrath and pouring out things that are called wrath, there are some going, oh, wow, and they're beginning to turn their heart. Most aren't, but many are. It says in Revelation 10, one through three, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a shout like the roar of a lion, and when he shouted, the voice of the seven thunders spoke. This is saying the symbolism, tons of symbolism, and this is where you don't want to lose the picture of Scripture through some details you can't figure out, and this is where a lot of people stumble in Revelation. There's so many symbols. They do mean things, but you don't want to stumble over them all. The symbolism here is one foot on the earth, and one on the water, this is God's authority over the whole planet. Nothing escapes his authority. And the voice is like um, seven thunders, and we see that in Psalms. When God speaks, it's like this thunderous voice. And so the illustration is that God is showing up on the planet, one foot on the land, one on the water, and now all of a sudden is saying something profound that's earth-shaking. And in the picture, it says in verse 9, he's got this little itty-bitty scroll in his hand. Big, mighty angel showing up on God's behalf with this little, itty, bitty scroll. It says this in verse 9. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will taste as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many people, nations, languages, and kings. You might want to underline that in your Bible if you have it. You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Could you imagine God showing up to you 
You're like, oh, wow, God's cool sending an angel to speak to you and tell you something really cool. This is here, this uh, scroll I got for you. Come on over here. Come closer. You're like, really? Yeah, come closer. I want you to eat that. Like, you're kidding, right? No, 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 really, eat it. Seriously, like, eat, eat the scroll. Yeah, I want you to take the scroll, and I want you to eat it. Of course, it was a little one. He wanted them to eat the scroll. And when he ate the scroll, it tasted as sweet as can be in his mouth. But it, when it went down into his stomach, it began to shake and churn and do some things. Let me just tell you what that's symbolic of. Because it's symbolic for your life and in mine too. The scroll is the word of God. This is the scroll. How many of you know this is the scroll? Now this is a specific sequence of revelation on a little mini scroll. But it's the same thing as application for your in li- my life. This is the scroll. God told Ezekiel the same thing that he's telling the Apostle John in Revelation. Take the scroll and eat it. And you're thinking, like, literally? Let me just tell you, when you ask that prayer, Lord, give us our daily bread, right? Give us our daily bread. People are going through life trying to live and trying to succeed and trying to be strong and overcome things, and they're not even eating. They're really going through life spiritually anorexic. And the reason they are is because they're simply not eating the scroll. Now, I will say something about this scroll. When you eat the scroll, there are some beautiful things in Scripture that are sweet as honey. How about this, Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many like that one? That's cool, right? Yeah. Even at Valley Hollyfield, if, if, if you guys ever watched you know, heavyweight boxing, he even had that on his shorts. I can do all things through Christ. And he went out, bam, heavyweight champion of the world. And I'm like, that's cool. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But how many of you know that if you're going to live a life where God makes that a reality, that you can do all things, you're going to go through some trials. You're going to go through some tests. You're going to go through some times of stretching where that scripture finally becomes a reality in your life. When you get to the other side, you're going to go, it's by the grace of God. I did all things through Christ who strengthens me, but wow, did I go on a journey. See, we like the taste of it over here, right? But there's a little bitterness to the process of it, and the word of God is like that. It's live, it's living, it's active, it's like a two-edged sword. It can cut between even the bone and marrow, and the last, next time you get a piece of chicken, and you bite down into that, and you get to the end of the bone, you know what I'm talking about. You, you look at that funny, round part of the bone, and what you're seeing is marrow. You're seeing marrow on the bone. You can try as hard as you want to get that marrow off. You're probably not going to be able to because it's pretty much, it seems like it's one thing. But the reality is scripture in your life and in mine can cut between the bone and the marrow, meaning our heart, our motives, our intentions. Scripture is saying that you and I don't even know our own hearts and motives and intentions that well. We think we do, but when we get into the word, when we eat the scroll, everybody say eat the scroll. When we eat the scroll, it begins to separate motive, intentions, heart, can all kinds of things start getting separated when we eat the scroll. And he's telling him to eat the scroll. It's going to go down sweet, but it's going to cause some things. There's going to be some changes that happen as a result of it. And he's telling him, take that and step into a world, and you're going to speak up to a people. You're going to speak up to a people when you eat the scroll. In fact, that's the last point. I'm going to just give you that one in advance right now. You want to write that down. Fifth point is eat the scroll and prophesy. Eat the scroll and prophesy. You get into the word. 
The word gets in you, and guess what? It starts to come out of you because it's living and it's active, and it's God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed, spirit-breathed. The spirit of God wrote this book. It wasn't written by man. He, he, he pushed the pens of man, but over three continents, over 1,500 years, 66 books, over 40 authors, all talking about the same nature, direction of the same God, because it's got the same author ultimately behind it. And when you eat it, when you eat the scroll, it gets in you. And guess what happens when it gets in you? It starts to come out of you. And that's why the Bible says, speak as one speaking the very oracles of God, that if you get God's word in you, you can speak it out of you. I know one time I was working with this um, guy um, at a dealership I worked at years ago, um, and um, I was a mechanic, this guy was in sales, and he was just going at it, and he sold more than anybody else. And I, I gotta be honest, I made a lot of money working at this dealership at the time with this sales guy, but he was relentless. Like, when everyone was going home, he was just writing up more stuff, and everyone's leaving. Just keep on, you know, and, and you could just tell he was so driven, but beyond driven. Have you ever seen someone that's a little beyond driven? Like, they're, they're like, they're overdoing it. And there's something about making money, which is good, but there was this, this love of money. This love of money. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is. And he had this love of money. And I just told him one day, I said, um, I said, his name is Joe. I said, Joe, I gotta say, I'll tell you, man, you can't serve two masters. Nobody can. You're gonna love one, hate the other. You gotta you got choose which one you're gonna serve. Because I love you, but I can tell you love money. We all use money. But if you love it, it's gonna eat you up. I forgot I told him that. Years later, he'd been through a bunch of things in life, ups and downs, and I went to go visit him in prison. And um, when I was out at Wayside visiting him, he, he told me, he said, you know what, Brian, I just, uh, I just came to the Lord in here. I'm like, that's awesome, Joe. Go, that's really cool. He goes, you know what? After all these years, he goes, I can never forget what you told me. And I'm like, what did I tell you? He goes, you remember back? And I go, no, I don't, I don't remember. He goes, you told me I can't serve two masters. It's either God or money. And I'm like, I, I don't remember. I told you that, but praise God. And, and all I can tell you is if you eat the scroll and it goes in you, it comes out of you. And guess what? It's alive. It's living, it's active, it still lived on in him. Even though he was out knocking them back, getting DUIs and wrecking things in his life, this word was still living on and bubbling up and that's what he's telling him to do. You eat the scroll so that you can speak it, so you can prophesy um, and he's telling him, you're gonna speak to people and, and nations and languages. We have every tribe, tongue and nation right in our city. You don't have to go around the world to prophesy. You can eat the scroll and prophesy right in your neighborhood. You can eat the scroll, get the word of God in you, and, and speak God's uh, oracles right here in our city. And that's, I think, you start with ground zero, with your home and your neighborhood and your friends, because you love them. It's not a judgmental thing. This is not some critical spirit kind of thing. This is not some religious, zealous thing. This is, oh man, I love you so much, and God loves you so much too. But let me just tell you what I, what I think he would tell you. This is what he says. You weigh that out yourself. I'm not telling you what to do. You just you kind of chew on that for a minute. because, And I know when I came to faith, people spoke scripture into my life, and I was not following God. And I didn't even want to hear those scriptures, to be honest with you, because I, I wasn't going to turn, and I wasn't ready. But can I tell you, they did not go away. They didn't go away. They, they, they took on a life form, because scripture is living. Everybody say it's living. 
It's living and active and sharp. So it's alive. And so when you speak into someone's life, it just doesn't go away. It doesn't return void. God says, everything I wrote is not going to return void. It's like a boomerang that's going to go out through all generations and come back to me. And it's going to do everything that I set it up to do. It's alive. And so when you speak it in someone's life or they speak it in your life, this is, this is what happens. So anyway, moving on, really quick summary of these. Uh, Jesus comes in these next chapters right here, these next sequence, as the righteous judge. He came as the lamb, right? The lamb of God, he came as a lamb. And that wasn't very threatening in any way. He was gentle, came in on a donkey, died for the sins of the world. You know, he got hit by, you know, the high priest. He didn't turn around and swing back. He uh, turned the other cheek and you're like, wow, that's, incredibly humble. He came as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. Scripture says he's coming back as a lion, and he's coming back as a righteous judge. And in uh, chapter 11, I'm just going to hit up some of these things. He sends two powerful witnesses. The end time sweet sequence is rolling out. God's beginning to pour out some things on earth, and all of a sudden, these two powerful witnesses do amazing things. They're representing God. They're performing miracles. And even though the church seems to be already raptured and the earth seems to be going through this time of, of wrath on earth and some are hardening their heart, God loves people so much, he sends these two witnesses go, would you please share my love even amidst some of this fallout because I love people. And they go out there and when they're finally killed, the people celebrate. And they celebrate because some people don't want to hear God's word. You know, when people aren't, when people don't want to change, they don't want to hear the word. It was anybody, I was like that. I didn't want to hear the word because I wasn't ready to change. And so these prophets are sharing the word and people aren't ready to change. And so when they're killed, they actually are killed after three years and people actually celebrate and then God raises them back to life and everyone's like, oh, wow. And a whole bunch of people, because they see the power of God, turn around and begin to follow the Lord. Even in this time of the sequence on earth that's being rolled out where we see the wrath of God. And so we know that God's patience leads to salvation. Once again, even in the middle of Revelation, his patience is leading more people to come. And so in past chapters, we looked at the seven seal judgments and the seven trumpet judgments, but I do want to cover the last trumpet judgment because it's really important. And this is what it says in Revelation 11. This is important, guys, because this one is a key part of the whole redemptive story. And the reason I'm skimming this part of Scripture is because for my read of Scripture, the church is out of the story. People on earth are, some are turning and some are hardening their heart. But God is pouring out a sequence of wrath that you can go back and read slowly and study if you want to see the details of the sequence. But I want to put the big picture stuff in today. It says this in chapter eleven fifteen. This is an important one. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who was and who, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for ju- judging the dead, and for, re- listen to all this stuff, the time's come for judging the dead, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for d- destroying those who destroy the earth. This is a time, here's a summary of this last trumpet. 
you wonder, you look around the earth, and we know, God, you reign on high because you're the king of the universe, but we still see stuff happening down here that doesn't look like God is fully reigning on everything. Would you guys agree with that thesis, right? So he is spiritually in a reality, but on earth it doesn't look like it. This trumpet, the seventh trumpet, when everything shifts. And the story is, now that this trumpet is blowing, you are going to fully reign on earth the same way you do in heaven. There's, there's about to be a shift down here, and, and you're, you're stepping in in a power and an authority and in a change in the sequence. It's a time of the end, and it's uh, the full reign of God, the fullness of it, and God's wrath's coming on earth. He's really, it says, destroying those who destroy the earth. He's talking about destroying those who destroy the lives of people on earth. You think of like trafficking. Does that bother anybody? Trafficking bother you? It bothers me. It bothers God. And there's a time when God's like, it's on. And and we're going to see this sequence roll out. And he's going to destroy those who destroy the lives of people on earth. And it's for the dead will be judged and the faithful believers will be rewarded and the wrath is being poured out. And all of this happens very, very quickly in the revelation sequence. This next section doesn't seem like it takes a long time at all. It doesn't seem like it takes a long time. It moves along quickly, and I want to cover it that way. Chapter 12, here's a quick summary. You don't have to turn there. There's a vision. He's, he's sharing the whole end time sequence. There's a quick vision in Revelation 12, and I love what it says. He says in one quick vision, a summary of all of spiritual history in one quick vision. It's like a whole condensed summary, and this is what he says. He says in the vision that the devil was cast down from heaven with a third of the angels, that's what we know from Ezekiel and Isaiah. And Jesus said the same thing. He was cast down, 30 angels. It says in the vision that Jesus was born of a virgin and how the devil tried to kill the baby. Remember Herod tried to kill the babies, right? And it says that her son was the Messiah and the Lord and now he's seated at the right hand of God. But this is what it summarizes in chapter 12. Since the devil couldn't defeat him, the devil goes after his offspring. Who's the offspring? Who's the offspring? Believers, we're the sons and daughters of God. And and so the enemy's like, I can't get him. Let me try to get the followers. And so the Bible says he goes around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour who he may, resist the devil, and he will flee, right? We're given tools, we're given weapons of warfare in Ephesians that you can overcome all the schemes. The Bible says all the schemes of the devil you can overcome because God gives you the weapons. But that's chapter 12 in a nutshell that Jesus beat him, but his last thing on earth is trying to go after the offspring. Chapter 13 says this. It talks about the rise of the Antichrist. And he demands everybody worships him. Now, here's the quick setup on the Antichrist. The scripture's not talking a lot. Of, I mean, he's coming up here in the story, but I just want to give you the short overview. There's a time where the Antichrist is finally recognized and made known. And he comes to establish what appears to be a new world order, where there's all of a sudden kind of pulling it all together and people actually are respecting him. Uh, it says it's a time uh, in chapter 13 where the, um, Israel's temple is built. Israel's temple is built in this next portion of Revelation. How many of you know Israel hasn't had a temple for 2,000 years? But it will get rebuilt again. Now, when you see the temple of Israel get rebuilt, you know you can look at your Timex watch and go, tick, tick. You can actually start watching your watch. There's a seven-year period when the temple gets built. And that one is a season that's clearly delineated in Scripture. 
And so there's a time when the, the temple gets built, but the Antichrist rolls in there in the middle of the seven-year period and says, now turn and worship me. People are like, what? And, and he's got so much power at that point, he starts making people do it or trying to make them do it. And under this system, um, it says one thing that happens to him. He suffers a mortal head wound, but he doesn't die. And people go, it must be a miracle. So now people are afraid, and they begin to follow him, like, oh, he's got this power, and, and, and I think maybe we have to follow. So there's this tension on earth, and others are like, no, that ain't from God. And others are like, well, what are we going to do? And they just start going along with it. And that's the tension on earth. People living without a conviction, without the Holy Spirit, and, and even you know, people coming to faith in this time, because there will be some people coming to faith. The church, I believe, is raptured, but there will be always people coming to faith because God is patient And yet, even in this one world government, he demands that everyone take the mark of the beast in order to buy and sell food. So he's controlling the economy. The economy comes to a standstill unless you go through through this system. And this is what it says about that. I want to read it. Revelation 13, 16 through 18. We have it for up here. It also, it's interesting, it it calls the Antichrist it. It. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, uh, which is in the name, listen, the mark is in the name of the beast or the mark is the number of its name. This is what it's saying. This calls for wisdom Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, that number is 666. Okay, so the number of the beast is not just 666. This is saying right here, it it takes, it's saying right in the passage, it's going to take wisdom and insight and calculation. It's not just the plain number 666. That takes no calculation at all. That's just three digits, right? This is something more complicated than that. But the Antichrist is going to set up a system where you cannot buy or sell or trade unless you have this mark. I will tell you the number six is the number of man. It's the number of man. So just at face value, 666 means man, man, man. Or you could say 666 means man, not God, man, not God, man, not God. Does that make sense? Not God, not God, not God. Does that make sense? So if you're going to buy or sell, you pledge allegiance to not God, not God, not God. There's a summary here with this. Now, that might have sound crazy, and this is what I say about end times, but how many of you on your card that you have, uh, on your credit card, debit card, you have a chip on it? How many people in the room have a chip? Okay, Pretty much everybody. They started putting chips. There's so much information on that little chip. Uh, the back of your license has a little chip in there too. They can scan the back of your license and get so much information about you on that license. This is stuff in scripture that could, was not even possible in the history of humanity until our watch. Right on our watch, this is becoming possible. Already in New Zealand and in Japan, they're putting chips in babies, if you're willing to have that done. And the reason they're doing it, and here's the good reason, there's always a good reason, right? The good reason is because anyone can go through an airport and take a young baby who can't identify themselves, right? They're not like fingerprinted, identified. They don't have like a passport really in their name or how do you tell? They don't look like babies to me. I don't know. Is that you? You know, when you look at a baby passport. But, but to put a chip in a baby, 
to go through a passport and go, wait a second, this child doesn't belong to you. It sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds honorable. And that's why they're chipping all the dogs. If you go to the, the pound or you go to a rescue and you get a dog, virtually every one of them's chipped nowadays. So the reality of putting chips in people or animals, we're already living there, we're already carrying one. The difference being is that chip on this thing, that little chip, somehow it will be somewhere that represents, we're saying, man, 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 not God, not God, not God, or somewhere on our right arm, it's going to be man, 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 not God, not God, not God. And what that's doing is it's, it's taken allegiance, it's taken allegiance to um, the system and the, of the Antichrist. So that is going to be a sequence that happens. You've all heard of that part of Revelation. That's basically how that goes down. Uh, but in chapter 14, it's a final harvest of souls that with all this stuff going on, and there's going to be some believers, the Bible says if you take the beast, allegiance to the beast, you took it. And if you say, no, I won't, and the Bible says there's going to be a time where people are going to be trying to find a way to get by and God's going to provide for them and there's going to be in 14 a final harvest of souls. It's the final big harvest of souls that we see through this whole sequence in scripture right here for those who accept Christ and remain faithful. And the last section is this, and I know this is a really quick flyby, but chapter 15 and 18, it shows that the last believers on the planet are removed And then there's these seven plagues. In fact, this would be great if the worship team comes up. There's these seven bowls of wrath. And it's just the final sequence of of God's outpouring. But the beauty is we see the Antichrist locked up, wrapped up, defeated, the fall of Babylon, the fall of everything evil, falls down. And in in the story, the whole narrative of scripture, we see the devil showing up in the beginning trying to mess with people, messing with people, Don't follow God, I got a better way. And he's been doing it for thousands of years, thousands of years. And right at the very end, and we're gonna cover the end of the story where there's a hallelujah and a big celebration uh, coming up next in our next passages. Um, But but what we see in this 15 to 18, the the, the Antichrist, the world systems, uh, the fall of Babylon, and because of their rejection of God, he starts to pour out this final wrath on earth. Believers are not going to be here for it. But since God's loving, he's got to be just. And his consequences have to be real. And so I I just want to encourage you guys that we're living in a time where you should live your life as being ready for Jesus' return. The Bible tells you to live that way. We're supposed to be saying, Maranatha, come quickly. We're supposed to be living our life with an expectation. The Bible talks about believers who are sleeping, who are not even awake to the spiritual climate of these things. And, and Jesus is like, look, you've you got to be, you be apprised of this. We're living in these interest times. Question is this, are we ready for his return? And even a bigger question is this, I hope you are. I trust you're in God's house today because you love God and you're honoring God and you're lining your life up with God's. That's absolutely beautiful. And if you live that way, you will be ready for his return because you will be apprised, you will have understanding and you'll be eating the scroll and you will fully get a deeper comprehension of this stuff. But here's the other thing. God so loved the whole world, right? El todo mundo, the whole world. And the problem is, you might have a love for God and you have eternity already wrapped up for you. But there's so many people around us that don't. I just want to leave you with this final thought. When we get there, when we get to heaven, it says there's going to be, we're going to cover it, the rewards and what it looks like and how God 
finally wraps this up in a glorious way for us. It's like the celebration, the victory dance for us. It's a huge party. But when we get there, I wonder when we get to heaven, how many people are going to be able to say to you, thank you because you ate the scroll and you said something to me. Thank you for eating the scroll. I didn't even know it was a scroll, but now I started reading it. I'm eating the scroll too. But thank you for eating the scroll and saying something. Thank you. Saved my life. God saved your life, but he used you, right? And how many other people on that day are going to go, dude, you, uh, you never told me. You didn't say nothing to me. Like, we were coworkers. We worked together. You said nothing. Not, you didn't say anything. You were a family member. You didn't say anything to me. We, we hung out. We went to the gym. We went camping. We did this. We... Watched all the games together, man. How many Super Bowls have we watched? Tell me anything. And that's the difference. The difference in this is believers can be in both camps. The one group is willing to eat the scroll and speak out. Eat the scroll and prophesy. And the other believer, I don't know how much of the scroll they're eating, but there's nothing coming out. Does that make sense? The calling of God today is like that angel with that little scroll. I believe this is what the Lord is calling everyone in this room to this morning. I have this scroll for you. It's not monumental. You can eat it. And would you get up and would you eat this scroll? And if you eat this scroll, yes, you'll taste the sweetness and you'll feel the changing going on when you eat this scroll. But if you do, if you do, the power of God will rise up in you and you'll begin to speak out, pray up, love up, speak up, and you'll begin to prophesy and you'll begin to represent the Lord. So many people have no direction in their life right now. So many people have no hope. And because of it, they need the voice of God, the heart of God. And the Lord says, you're the answer. Click your feet together, would you? Click them. Do it louder. Let's hear it. Okay. Blessed are the feet that carry the gospel. Blessed are those feet that are willing to walk this out. Eat the scroll. Walk it out. You're going to get in on some life-changing stuff that God's doing. And some people's eternity is going to be forever changed because you ate the scroll, prayed up, loved up, and we're able to walk it out. So we're going to close in prayer right now, but I believe God wants you to do something new, guys. I believe God wants us to partner with him in a way we've never done before, but I think you're going to see the result, and when you do, you're going to get so excited. When you see God using little old me, yep, He's been using little old me for 2,000 years. People like you and I, me, what about, just like you. God wants to use little old me and little old you to change this whole world around us and start a love revolution. Let's close in prayer. Mighty God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. Lord, I just want to pray today that you would seal this in our heart, that we would eat the scroll. It's going to be sweet. It's going to make some changes on the inside. It kind of stretches us and does some things, but ultimately it gives life. And I pray that we don't just eat it to be consumed by it, but we eat it so we could give it away. We could speak it out, God. I pray that everyone in here would learn that you're calling everyone in the room to prophesy. That's not just for prophets. That's for your people. We're supposed to be ambassadors representing you and and speaking. And we got people all around us who who, who are lacking hope and haven't sensed your love yet because they don't know you, but we do and they don't. So I pray we begin to share your love with others. We come alongside others and just love them right into your presence. 
and continue to eat your scroll and speak life. I thank you for that, mighty God. I just want to also pray as we wrap up today, since this is such an important reality uh, that our relationship with Jesus alters our future. Our future has different paths based on our relationship with Jesus. So with everyone's eyes closed and head bowed, uh, I, I trust someone is saying today, you know, I need to get on board with you all the way, God, not just kick the tires like a test drive. Uh, I need to get in with you. I need to get off the throne and put you on it. And I'm not going to wait anymore. Today's the day. And uh, if that's you, the Lord is pleased with you. Would you just raise your hand? I want to agree with you in prayer. Is God calling anybody this morning to say, yes, it's me, God. I want to, I want to step into your kingdom. I want to follow you. Any, amen. Anybody else? The Lord's pleased with you. Anybody else this morning? Amen. Anybody else this morning? Lord's pleased, guys. This is what, what it's all about. Anybody else this morning where God's saying, look, don't, don't just have some respect or honor. Surrender to me. Hold up the white flag. The white flag in a, in a natural battle seems like defeat, but in the kingdom of God, it's where victory begins. Anybody else this morning just need to put up that flag and go, God, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm putting it up. You're the king and I'm not. Amen. Amen. Let's just uh, seal this in, in prayer. Mighty God, we just believe, we believe, we believe you died on the cross for our sins. You rose from the grave. You conquered death. And that if we die in you, we will rise in you. You promise us that. Lord, show us how to turn and trust you and grow in you. Show us how to eat the scroll. Fill us with your spirit that we can represent you in a whole new way, Lord. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. I also want to pray that everyone in this room would begin to eat your scroll in a whole new way. Let us be people committed to eating scroll. Is anybody, if, if anyone's in here committed, would you stand to your feet if you're committed to eating the scroll? If you want to eat the scroll, uh, you might be going, hey, I don't even know what's in the scroll. I don't want to eat it yet. That's fine. Uh, but if you, if you know, if you're ready to eat the scroll. So mighty God, I just want to pray a blessing, Lord, that there'd be a hunger for the scroll, a hunger for your word, that it would permeate our lives. It would take life in a whole new way. And we'd walk around as, as, as lifesavers, God. We'd be running around giving life, giving life, life beyond what we have because you give more. We'd give joy. We'd give peace. We'd give life through what you do through your word, Lord. Your word gives life. And so, Lord, I pray that we would give life as we begin to uh, eat the scroll and step up and represent. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen, guys. Praise the Lord. Um. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.